On this episode of Lady Boss, Courtney sits down with Trish Thomas and Nicole Wilson from Everybody Eat. They share how they built a booming cracker empire while giving back to the community. Okay, so how do two powerful, super intelligent women split the duties? Ooh, that's a good one. So I think that what we've done is originally we split the duties based on what we what we thought our skills were, okay, and then found ourselves doing exactly the opposite. So I'm the investment banker. She runs the models. I'm the one who is in the factory doing operations and under equipment that's not working. And then I've run a manufacturing <laughs> company before, and so we we both learn how to. Um, New, learn new skills. When you stop That's learning, right. you die. That's right. You but how did that flexible. happen? I mean, so yeah, I knew you're an investment banker, sure. but you're spending your time on the raise, which we'll get to. But you're spending your time with the people and That's making exactly the product. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It just felt more natural when you got there. I mean, it's one of those where it's uh, you stretch, right? <laughs> and so some of it had to do with just where we were located. And so as we split our duties, I have spent some time in manufacturing with just a mergers and acquisitions background. And so I said, okay, so I'll be here on the ground and you're out front, you're doing the raise, you're working with the investors, that piece. And then we said, these are our lanes and whatever comes with that lane, you got to own it. Well, COVID helped a little bit. <laughs> COVID did help. I mean, COVID impacted a lot. So when we, we launched on March 1st, 2020, and on March 11th, 2020, we shut it all down, moved 900 cases into you my living room. You know, I just room. did a whole boss fight about <laughs> don't fucking talk about COVID anymore. Today, this morning, I was like, I'm so sick of talking about COVID. People don't talk about COVID in their business. That's three years ago. <laughs> okay, we won't talk about it. But, but how, we really, how we really ended up doing what we're doing is that we had another co-founder that used to run huge factories for P&G, and he got COVID. And he was out for six months, and then he came back, and then he got COVID again. And he wasn't able to come back to work. And so during that time, Nicole became a manufacturing expertise. So, because she, <laughs> since she was doing um, all the manufacturing, and you know, this is my fourth company, so I have a deep bench in the, the legal, the finance, the fundraising, but I'm really like a marketer and a salesperson at heart, and I don't really do any of that. <laughs> none of it. Absolutely none. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so yes. day to day, there's how many people at the company? So in the whole company, there are 42 yeah. and on site at the factory, there are 33. 33. Okay. Yeah. And you're in the process of moving. And yes. what I yes, thought was so cool is that a lot of the people that you may want to take with you might yes. not have the, the means, resources, or passion to, to move from Chicago to Evanston. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? That's true. So tell me like some of those really creative ways that you worked with the city. I thought that was genius. So us in working with the city, we know that we are, um, we've got a workforce that is unique. And so our workforce is about 65% have been involved in the criminal justice system. 20% were homeless when they came to us. 85% people of color. Our production floor is almost 100% um, African-American. And so we have a group that hails from the south and west sides of Chicago and who are really tied to geography. But they a great home with us yeah. and so what we've thought about is that move from the south or west side of chicago to evanston we've got to think about like a full-on relocation yeah. so for many people it's not just a drive up the highway it is a complete culture shock and culture shift 
So working with the city to think about what are what can we put in place from a workforce development standpoint? What can we put in place for housing, affordable housing? How can we partner for childcare? What are some of the big barriers, including transportation, that may keep those who want to come to Evanston from coming to Evanston? And so what's the employer appropriate way to help them with those hurdles? But I also think that you, you brought something to the game that is uniquely you is that you recognize privilege by proxy yes and you have you're accessible and you have you have single-handedly changed people's lives like share with Courtney <laughs> the story about Anthony in the bank well so the privilege with proxy privilege with proxy is a, a term that kind of um, came to me as I thought about how do we as a leadership team leverage our privilege in service of others yeah. and in service of our team. And so the uh, what Trish is referencing is one of our employees, hourly employee, Anthony, we were so excited because he was getting stabilized and so he was now able to get a car. And so I had to do employment verification. He showed up, he had his sheet of paper and he's like, okay, let's, I've got them on the phone. You just have to verify my employment. So I thought this should be easy. Let me see, let me see the contract. And I took a look at it and the interest rate was 27% on a car, a leased car that was like five or six years old. Mm. And immediately I was like, give me the phone. <laughs> and he didn't want to because he's like, whatever this thing is that's coming out of you, right? He's like, I've never seen you so angry. And so immediately I got on the phone and what started to be a conversation between this person at this loan shark place and an hourly worker, they now were talking to a Stanford MBA about predatory lending practices. So flipping the script on the power dynamic in that conversation, yeah. getting it down to 14% because we still had to work on Anthony's credit for a while, yeah. um, but then teaching him how to have that conversation next time he finds himself in that position. And so that for me is, we talk about it. We don't give fish, we teach to fish. Yeah. But I do love the bank story also. Oh, the banks. So yes. So this is Anthony too. Oh my goodness. Um, but so one of the issues is that a number of folks on our team weren't bankable. And so as we were doing direct deposit, yeah. I'm finding that folks are putting money on cards that are getting lost on buses, that are getting lost on a train, et cetera. And I said, I want you to go into your bank and try to develop a relationship with the bank, knowing what the outcome might be. And so a few of them came back and said, well, they won't talk to me. They won't, they won't make an appointment with me. They keep sending me out. So I said, okay, well, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. I've got a bank that I've been at for 25 years. Get in the car. So put it in the front seat, drove them there, made the appointment ahead of time, and then sat down with the, the banking agent and said, pull up my account. And so they pull up my account. Oh, you've been with us for 25 years. They're all excited to talk to me. And I said, stop. Take that grace that you were just about to shower upon me and shower it upon the person next to me because that's actually why we're here. And then it's a very different conversation about finding the right account for that person, but also lending them my privilege in the moment so that they could get the respect they need to get access to what they need to become bankable. You know, I think um, smart, lucky, successful, well-reared people like all of us have so many privileges yeah. and you know, you can make more money and grow your company more and all that stuff. And that comes with the job you have. But sure. the reality is there's nothing more fulfilling than what you're doing with Anthony and all these people. Right. And I found the same in going from service to manufacturing that, you know, they're 
skilled in many ways, but the, they're so unskilled in so sure. many ways that we can help them and change lives. Sure, absolutely. And the metric is really like not how much are we selling and how many customers we got, like how long and how many people, at least lives are we changed as a result of having this opportunity. Sure, when sure. You, when you look at manufacturing as part of wealth creation, um, the, 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 the oldest families and the wealthiest families made stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the concerns for me is a lot of people stay away from manufacturing because mm -hmm. they don't want to touch it, it's right. capital intensive. Um, you know, the funding community doesn't like manufacturing, but if we don't continue to make stuff in the same way you're making stuff and we make stuff, who's gonna make it, right? Yeah. And where do those China. jobs go, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so important that people manufacture, but as a sector, there's not a lot of money there. It's yeah. hard, it's, it's hard work, and it is. It came up for me, so a workforce, I think, um, you know, super hard hiring market. Um, you've picked a lane that's both fulfilling and good for your company. Sure. Um, but it doesn't always go so well when people have that much grit before they get to work and, and that much out of office drama. Yeah. Um, what, what, what can go wrong in this sector? And you know, what are the things that sort of make it just something that you've got to work around basically. Sure. So I think it's really having a sense, knowing your team and understanding what each individual's story is. Okay. And so that sometimes gives you the background to anticipate what's coming, sometimes telling them what's coming based on decisions and choices that they're making. But then it's being ready to just be nimble and reactive. So for us, two years ago, every single person during that summer lost a, an immediate family member to gun violence every single person and so there were days where we would have on a shift of 12 four or five people out at the same time at funerals yeah. and so that was one where we just had to figure out how do you how do you weather a grieving workforce yeah. and be a place where there is empathy and there's compassion and your grief and your tears are welcome here but we still have a job to do yeah. And so that's one where you have to very delicately navigate this balance between empathy and this is, this is a job because as much as it is, as it is fulfilling and we're changing lives, our workforce is our competitive advantage. And if they're not coming to work, we don't have that advantage. Mm -hmm. So that is a, that's, a, that's a big one that's there for us. And another is that there's a, um, you know, there's a, I guess leading with sort of a, a, velvet, a velvet hammer sometimes where you've got to be able to say, I love you, I care about you, here's a little tough love because if you don't get your act together, this is going to be a completely different conversation. And our team understands you've invested in them and you're coming from a place of love and care, yeah. but you can still hold them very highly accountable because their peers who are delivering are doing the same. Would they take that same message from you? I don't know. I mean, I, I would hope so because we, I haven't been on the manufacturing floor in this facility and when we go to the new one, I, I will be right. And yeah. I, I would expect so because I would treat everybody the same, mm -hmm. but I think that the, the trick is the mattering, right? Mm -hmm. We, we, we had some consultants come in, I don't know, April, 2001, yes. right? Yes. And, and they were bake, bakery consultants that yeah. came in with some suggestions. And as people listened to the suggestions, they had their own ideas. And then we started to listen to their own ideas. And then when people started to see that we would actually listen to them, they contributed more. And you could see the change in our financials like that. Mm -hmm. Because our cost of goods sold slowly went down. 
But then the more you let humans know they matter and contribute, sometimes accidents happen, like the right. silpats in the oven. Oh my somebody had an idea on how to do it better. There was a disaster. <laughs> but, but I think that, that when, you, when you decide culturally that people are going to matter and you really let them matter, it's really different. Mm-hmm. And it's a different environment. And, and Nicole gets 100% of the credit. But sometimes people make mistakes. Sure. And you're like, well, okay, you made a mistake. But... Nine other other things that you did right. made us yeah. better, right? But I, I think it's about mattering. I'm you like, the, you know, we're, we're getting MBAs here, mm-hmm. and the company, you know, is impacted financially by it. But yeah. as long as you don't make this mistake again, we learned something that was very valuable. There you go. We go, we, we roll a tape back. What was the root cause? Yeah. So that's one thing we're always talking about. What was the root cause of, of this particular mistake? What are the processes that we don't have in place to yeah. keep it from happening again? And then it becomes a lesson in change management at the yeah. end. And so that's how we fail forward. And Trish has, with her curriculum and talking about reframing failure, <laughs> we do that on a daily basis. And so our team gets to learn a bit of that resilience that we have to have as founders. But I mean, I do think the other piece though is that when people look up and they see themselves, it gives them new hope. So I, I am, if Nicole was a white woman, she'd still be as badass as she is <laughs> as a black woman, but I'm sure that the fact that the team can look up and sure. And see and see you and see the families is yeah. is the same, but but we don't look at each other this way. We just yeah. want them to look up and see some people that are really committed to what yeah. they're doing. That took a chance, but it wasn't a chance. We did the research before we started, and yeah. that understanding that anybody can create something from nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so powerful. So as you look forward, what are the big milestones? Um, for the company that, you know, regardless of time, what, what are the real big markers that have to happen? Well, we've been, yeah. our, our biggest challenge is we've been trying to build a scalable manufacturing <laughs> facility yep. from the start. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll never know if we were men, uh, if we would have had an easier time of it. But for us moving into the new facility and then outgrowing it as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Like we know in this facility we can get to about $50 million and our goal is to put the metal, pedal to the metal yeah. So in a couple of years, we're actually looking at, you know, how do we get into a hundred thousand square foot facility? And would that be a 24 seven shift to get to that number? Or would that be a one shift operation? So you go to the new facility, right. are, you, yeah. are you 24 hours now? We're not 24 hours right. now, but the new facility is now in a location where it's safe for our team yeah. to run 24 seven. And, and so and that, so that number is a goal. will be Absolutely. part, okay, you'll yeah. run 24 seven. But, but there's also another way to do growth, right? One mm-hmm. way is, is you could build a monster facility, but what we've really proven is that an urban yeah. workforce is a good workforce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I also see that there'll be choices in growth where we could build another facility on the other side of the Rockies. We make pretty lightweight products. So we're shipping air, right? Mm -hmm. So you could take the same thing that we learned, model another facility on the other side of the Rockies, use TIF markets, new market tax credits. Um, We're we're starting to talk to people about having some academics measure our workforce development Mm -hmm. so that we can share how it's done. But then we could do it because we're not not afraid to work with groups of people. And I, I really believe that... Any, any urban area in the country would welcome us with open arms 100%. because of what we've done. Yep, 100%. Okay, so new, bigger, I mean, getting into this facility and getting it functional, obviously, um, and then getting that sales number, and then it's a second one, and it is, um, I think you just said it, growth can happen a lot of ways. So 
you'll obviously be approached by lots of people to buy the company at mm -hmm. some mile marker, wherever the cracker sort of threshold starts, five million or three million or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, would that be something that's um, appealing or well, what, we didn't, what? You know, we're, we, we didn't start out to build a cracker company. We, we set out to build a, a brand that, could, that fostered consumer trust, love and loyalty that people could shop around the store. And the problem we're trying to solve is is eating with other people, which means the food has to be so good that people without a special diet would eat it. Right. So I think that as we as we look at growth, it's not necessarily gonna be who's gonna pay us the highest check, it's gonna say who can partner with us to get to the next level, right? right. And, and it's about stacking your intelligence. So most of our investors have deep, deep expertise in a lot of things that pertain to yeah. what we do. And so what we found is that the humans the humans add the humans add value, but we got we have quite a runway, and mm -hmm. and I think it's been our advantage is that we can take the long road versus right. it was like let's scale something up as fast as we can and flip it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So we're playing the long game. That's right. Cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so, yeah. If you had to summarize, what were the hardest um, ahas about being two women in business? What do you think they would be? I mean, okay. different for each of the roles you're playing, but I think for both of you, what would that be? I mean, there's some, it's funny because you grew up, you know, in investment banking and you grew up in all of these different industries where, you know, your, your consumer products, uh, consumer packaged goods, but you're the youngest in the room, the brownest in the room for a very long time. And so you kind of build that muscle around it. But uh, it's always interesting when you hop on a manufacturing call and there's a Zoom and they're, you know, 10 men on the call and all of a sudden you start hearing things like sweetheart, dear, girl, you know, these sort of things that I'm like, I'm 47, haven't been a girl for a really long time, sir. And then you literally just run down the list of everything you need, how, here's how you need it, here's how it's going to go. And everybody sits up a little bit straighter in their rectangle. Um, those are ones where you get off the call and you're like, that was exhausting for no reason. Like it just didn't have to be. So it's that extra mental load and effort that you have to put forth where it's, you're consistently proving yourself. But by this point I've gotten pretty good at it. And so is Trish. So you just weather and walk into it, but it's constant. You're constantly being underestimated, yeah. you know, and you're constantly, um, you know, being, being devalued in your knowledge. And you know, there's, you just sort of, Five words out of your mouth, and I would back out go. of the room. I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> I mean, both of you. I'm like, yeah. like, why? It's yeah. unnecessary grip. Sure. Nicole doesn't even need to say anything. She can just raise an eyebrow, and I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. I do have an eyebrow that, that I used to we, like try to tame, had, but I don't anymore. I mean, our superpower <laughs> is that we came from totally different yes. places. Yeah. Yes. And and I became an entrepreneur. I think I started my first business at 11 and I got tall really fast and my mom and my parents got divorced and we didn't have any money mm -hmm. and I couldn't afford to buy pants. I didn't want to ask my mom. So I started employing everybody in the neighborhood and I was kind of the babysitting madam <laughs> and, um, and then got busy and built and sold my first company right out of college mm -hmm. and did some other things. But, but I, don't think about being a woman in business anymore, except when it comes to capital, because mm -hmm. our, our yeah. initial plan Absolutely. was private equity fundable years ago, mm -hmm. but we didn't approach it that way. But I think it's our secret weapon at this point. And I think that the value of being women is understanding the power of networks. Because when you look mm -hmm. at how you create change and social change, at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is create change. And what I mean right. by that 
is how we know we won is you walk into a Super Bowl party and everybody can eat because we've changed the paradigm mm -hmm. that people now think about it, right? And they, yeah. they think about what they serve food, but I mean, how you create change is in, a, in like a fishnet, right? So you need to take overlapping networks of people before change is possible. People, change doesn't happen. A pandemic happens like fireworks, but change happens like a fishnet. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody's better at doing that than women. Mm -hmm. So, so I, think it's, I think it's an advantage. And the fact that at this stage of the game, um, People underestimate us the second we walk in the room, <laughs> right? And they, I mean, they, and then, you know, they're like, did you meet at Stanford? We're like, no, we met at the book fair yeah. at our kid's school. And no one knows what to do with it, right? <laughs> it sounds so nice. I mean, they just really don't know what to do with it. And, and we've had, we've had, we've had investor calls where, um, you know, we've made a conscious effort to keep women on our cap table so we can give our women on status. And, yeah. And women will say, well, can you do a call with my husband? And I said, sure. And then yeah. the husband might get on the phone and say, I'm going to ask you a couple of tough questions. I don't want you to think that you're not supportive of your business. And and I'm like, really? We can, I can handle it. Bring it on. But, but, it, but it happens, right? And so it's how do you... How do you take being a woman and make it an advantage, not there a disadvantage? The other thing that I would love is if they can stop calling women and businesses of, by, run by people of color and better disadvantaged businesses, right? I would makes me crazy that we're eligible <laughs> for a whole bunch of things as a woman-owned It's our secret weapon. But they yes, call us, dis we're, dis we're disadvantaged. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, whatever, let them think it. As long as I give you the money to grow <laughs> right. as big as you want. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that um, your story is just, it's pretty impactful. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you have very, very smart brains. That's a given. But you could have done a lot of things that would have been a lot easier, probably. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And probably, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I mean this in the highest respect. Right. Like, you took something that was pretty hard because you're changing people's mindset about food. Took employee base that is, you know, not the straight path to employee base. And, right. and yet, I think that... That is your authenticity about and values are why you know the brand is going to be such a huge success and already is in such short order. So um, I think it's an incredible story and the two of you are incredible. I just love hearing. It gives people, all of us, a lot to think about. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, I, and we stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, there are so many who have along the way, I yeah. can speak, have poured into me, have invested in me as a person. And so I think that when I think about walking with purpose and walking with intention, it is paying back that which yeah. was given to me and then making sure that, uh, that, that those who I pour into know my only ask is that you go out and you do the same thing for someone else. Yeah. So how do you guys deal with office staff that might say they want to work from home. Does that ever happen to you? It does, it does. Um, I think that for us, I mean, it, it depends on who the staff is. But we have like is. no, we have like one person. One person, but I think, but I think that, I know besides, but, yeah. but, but I do think that um, depending on what your function is, it's more important for you to be in the office. And so if your function is really around I know, marketing, the cracker, brand, essence. The cracker essence, maker has to be there when you Well, of course, the cracker, actually the cracker maker. But sometimes it's like we've got so like our sales team, our marketing team yeah. tends to be more remote. And there are times when I think it's important to come back home like and anchor down and see 
like really see because you have the benefit of seeing the product actually being made, Who's making the love it? that goes oh, into yeah. it, the difficulty with it, the zero sum game when you've got constrained manufacturing. And when you go to talk about the brand and talk about the business, you're able to do so with much richer texture if you've been on the ground. Been on the ground. So, ex except that. We have a lot of people remote because those are the best people for the job. So the woman who's sure. our controller works in Geneva, Illinois. Mm -hmm. oh, she okay. lives in Geneva, Illinois. Yeah. Our head of sales was in Chicago for years, but his, his family's in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So we let him go to Atlanta. Hmm. And so, and we really have a very lean office space. One of sure. the reasons is that we haven't had a good office space to work because there's, <laughs> there's no that. walls yes. and it's a manufacturing facility. So like, it's I allowed. don't, I don't go to the office cause I'm on the phone all day and right. I can't, oh, you can there's hear. nowhere, there's nowhere to talk. Okay. So, okay. so that's probably not a great I just yeah. think we're not, for us, that's not a relevant thing yet. I mean, but everybody's coming in when we Janelle move. Janelle comes to the factory, though, and like when she's there, she's like, I always love when I'm here. I think it's different, but she's also got a background in manufacturing, so she sees it. So I think, I don't know, I think there's some time, like some things I think, but I mean, you breathe the essence of the company. I think other folks are learning it, and I think some of it you got to learn by. Yeah, I do touch. think that people need to be together as yeah, much we have as possible. Yeah, like, I don't know. 25 people that are office workers say yeah. okay and mm -hmm. some of them are like no only the highest paid most entitled one or two are the ones who want to work from home and mm -hmm. i'm like but the girl who's an hourly worker who has to get her kids to daycare be here in her seat at eight like why is it so hard for you miss like you know double six <laughs> figures that you gotta like and like we so i've been on wgn like talking about this a lot because during like the pandemic yeah. we have fifty thousand square feet we sure, have everybody sure. their own one that we didn't even have to mask for some periods because we have 24 foot high building yeah. we had this yeah. stuff but we were super careful. We were wiping doors, doing all that. Right. But like, I, I being together was so important. It's how we got yeah. through the war. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like we, like our war buddies were there. Like we were gonna, like yeah, let's get this order. Let's do it. Right. You know, we were just being so nimble. So now this, like, it's so hard to come to the office. I'm like, but the guy, Anthony, my Anthony, mm -hmm. yeah. was up with his seven kids last night. Mm -hmm. And now he's here glowing. Like, why is it so hard? Oh, because you got to go to the dry cleaner and make your dinner, take care of your dad at lunch, do like all these like very great sure. things. So. This thing. That's what I think we were, is, when we were at your house, though, we were hunkered down. It was the trenches. No, not you. It's not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't like. But it was to, our whole like, team. Like if I couldn't go to the office, but I'd it was be our... happy because there's no disruptions. I mean, the disruptions. <laughs> I get nothing done in my office. Well, I'm I but I also think though that I mean it's been an extraordinary couple of years. Yes. But it's <laughs> a good way. To but you, as you build your team, so you already had a team that went through the change of working from home together, and we're going to build a team, and. Our goal will always be to hire the best people for the job, but if part of the culture is we're all in this together, that's, yeah, that's smart. You know, if yeah. we're all then then we're gonna build that culture. One of my favorite sayings, because I, you know, we have six boys, so this is dear to my heart, is that uh, you know, Gandhi said, "Be the change you want to be in the world," including the toilet paper, right? Like, <laughs> like the first person cleaning the toilets in the new facility is me. Hundred percent. Because yeah, because I think that once you show people that you're not afraid to get dirty oh, and that mm -hmm. everything is everybody's job, yeah, right, yeah, that that you have to model it mm -hmm. and and we have it a little bit easier because we're gonna build our team and and we can lay that culture down versus people that had a culture the the sure, pandemic that we're not gonna talk it. about happened 
and now you have to reset, we don't really have that problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, but I mean, your controller doesn't empty the garbage. Like, we empty our right. own garbage. We don't clean right. it. It is empty the garbage. We empty our garbage. So, like, right. if one man's out of rotation, that's like the other Pop 49 in. have to pick up the slack. <laughs> so, I just think it's just like building a culture where yeah. everybody. Because, you know, I'm sure it looks like, you know, some people think being a desk jockey is a harder job or mm -hmm. what you do is a harder job. Well, it might be harder for Anthony to be making crackers all day. We don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. he, you know, it's just so, I think being in the office is so, it's not very popular. I know. Like right now people love the flexibility of that. So, you know, back to the question about how to blend it, it's like there is time to be in the office and work on the culture and be there for your team. Yeah. whatever like level you are in that company. But mm -hmm. I also think there's going to be different ways to do it. Like, Courtney, you and I get up really early, right? Yeah. So so my day, even when we go to the office, is going to start at 5 o'clock in the morning. Totally. But at 3 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock three in the morning, I'm not up yet. But at 3.30 <laughs> in the afternoon, I can see that I may end my work day at the office early because mm -hmm. I have a son that needs a little bit of extra help, right? Mm -hmm. But Nicole may roll in later and stay later yeah. than I am. Mm -hmm. But I but I do think there's that kind of flexibility. In the past, I ran um, a very creative business. We created television and books and. And the, the writers and the artists, really, they just fundamentally could not get to work at 8 o'clock in the morning. They couldn't because they did their craft late at night. And we finally said, all right, all right you okay. guys can come in 10, but you got to show up. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that worked for them, right? Yeah. And they'd stay really late at night. And so I think there's... I think there's creating boundaries and expectations, but it's kind of if you create FOMO, like if you don't show up, you're going to miss out, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and make it fun, right? Because <laughs> then people want to come to work. Right? When does the new um, office open or the facility? I know that's a slide. So we're target. looking February, February, oh, February, 2024. Okay. So not too far. Okay, I thought mm -hmm. that contractors like. <laughs> yeah, we're, get, we're, get, we're giving everybody a little extra, uh, right. a, little, a little buffer. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Well, um, this was super fun. I'm super fascinated about watching how, I mean, you guys are incredibly professional, but I mean, this is uh, this is no small startup company. This thing's going to the moon. We sure hope so. <laughs>